This is the Read Your Bible Podcast, the daily podcast designed to help you understand and apply the scriptures. Nothing will grow your relationship with Jesus Christ more than studying the Bible for yourself. I'm your host, Drew Tankersley, and for the next few moments, I want to invite you to join me as we dive into God's Word together. We'll ask God to help us see what He wants us to see so that we can be who He wants us to be. What does it mean for God to be sovereign? It's a word we hear a lot in Christian circles. But just what does it mean? Well, on today's podcast, we discover the blessing of Jacob on Joseph's life. In blessing Joseph, Jacob does something that illustrates more than just a coincidence. It actually underscores the truth the whole book of Genesis is designed to teach us, that God is indeed sovereign. Now, as we explore this truth, what does it mean for our lives today? Find out as we dive into Genesis 48 together. I want to call your attention to verses 8 through 12 of this chapter. When Israel saw Joseph's sons, he said, Who are these? And Joseph said to his father, These are my sons that God has given me here. So Israel said, Bring them to me, and I will bless them. Now his eyesight was poor because of his old age, and he could barely see. Joseph brought them to him, and he kissed and embraced them. Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face again. But now God has even let me see your offspring. Then Joseph took them from his father's knee and bowed with his face to the ground. On the surface, these verses seem hardly more than a customary blessing of a grandfather on his grandchildren in the waning days of his life. But on further investigation, this chapter is saturated with faith in a God whose plan is more extensive than life itself. Jacob's faith in these fleeting moments demonstrates hard lessons learned over a lifetime of struggle with God. Remember, even his name had been changed to Israel, which itself means one who struggles with God. It would be this struggle that would forever mark this heel grabber, who now walked with a limp, reminding him with every step that his life had been changed by this struggle. Now, the hard lessons learned in his wrestling with God began to shine through the shadows of the sunset of his life in this strange land. What Jacob did in Genesis 48, the writer of Hebrews describes as an act of worship and faith. Hebrews 11.21 reads, By faith Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, and he worshipped, leaning on the top of his staff. The faith that both Jacob and Joseph displayed in this chapter is worthy of our consideration. First, Joseph bringing his sons to Jacob in the first place is proof of his devotion to the Lord. Think of it. Joseph is now, after many years of misery, on top of the world, as it were. He's the second in command in a nation that is the greatest in the world at that time. They are in a place of paramount importance on the world stage, namely because they are the ones with grain at this point given the worldwide famine, a famine that had brought the world to its knees, begging for help from the only place that could provide it, the nation of Egypt. This country only had provisions because of this one man's foresight and planning. Joseph was single-handedly saving the world through his wisdom at the time. 
In the previous chapter, his business acumen had secured all the lands, all the crops going forward, and the workforce to keep them prosperous for generations to come. Yet Joseph brings his sons to his grandfather, a Jewish shepherd from a foreign land, to be blessed. This decision would cut them off from the social and political circles of the Egyptian nation. Remember, the Egyptians despised shepherds. But Joseph was more concerned about these boys' Jewish heritage than their Egyptian prominence. Like Moses, the man that would eventually powerfully deliver this nation from the slavery that awaited them in the days ahead, Joseph chose the afflictions of God's people over the pleasures of sin for a season. He was more focused on God's promises than Egypt's provisions. Those promises were given to Abraham, Isaac, and his father Jacob, and he was more focused on that than the provisions of a nation that it would eventually enslave his family. His boys had grown up thoroughly Egyptian. They knew relatively nothing of the faithfulness of God to their family or of their unique heritage of promise that God had given them. They'd grown up in the affluence of the palace. They knew Egypt's customs, but knew little of God's ways, save what Joseph had taught them in Egypt. Joseph knew that their place in the heritage of Israel would outlast the prominence of Egypt. And it was important to him for them to have been identified with God's people. This shows Joseph's faith in the God who had made such ridiculous promises to this thoroughly dysfunctional family. Then there is the faith of Jacob revealed in these verses. Most commentators believe that verse 8 begins a formal adoption process outlined in the following five verses. The question, who are these, is a question similar to the question asked at the beginning of a formal wedding ceremony. Who gives this woman to be married to this man? It signifies and invites a standard response by the parties involved. This is what Jacob is doing. He's about to adopt these boys into his family as his own. This is a vital act of faith and love. Remember the promises of God afforded to this family affords Jacob immense power at this moment. And Jacob's intent is to levy that power to give Joseph's line a double portion of the blessings promised to his family. The sons of Jacob that used to be ten, at least this is what Jacob thought after learning of Joseph's apparent death, now stands at eleven. But twelve... For Jacob adopts both Ephraim and Manasseh, Joseph's sons, into his own family line. Now these boys are in line for the covenant blessings of God. They've been grafted into God's covenant family to receive his covenant promises. This is an act of incredible blessing on Joseph, the long-lost beloved son of his father Jacob. But there's more here to this adoption than just inclusion. It's also a matter of importance. It's a matter of priority. The book of 1 Chronicles is a retelling of Israel's history by Moses. Here's how he records the incident of Genesis 48. These were the sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel. He was the firstborn, but his birthright was given to the sons of Joseph, son of Israel, because Reuben defiled his father's bed. He's not listed in the genealogy according to birthright. Although Judah became strong among among his brothers and a ruler came from him, the birthright was given to Joseph. 1 Chronicles 5, verses 1 and 2. 
You see, it wasn't just that these boys were now sons. They became the firstborn sons of, jo of Jacob. Jacob realized them as such. They were showered with the blessings of God's covenant family because of this faithfulness of their father, Joseph, and because of Jacob's deep love for him. This is an astonishing act of grace and love on the part of Jacob. But that love is not without drama. In a strikingly similar move, during the blessing ceremony, the blind father chooses to bless the younger more than the older. This sounds incredibly familiar, does it not? Whereas Jacob was deceiving his blind father Isaac into stealing the birthright, now Jacob is knowingly giving the birthright to the younger son. The events here are more than just ironic. It's intentional. Why would Jacob do this? Joseph even protests and tries to fix the old man's mistaken blessing, but the deed has been done, and it's a fitting end to the chapter and to the book of Genesis. Because as we apply this, the peculiar development teaches us in miniature form what the whole of the book has taught us. As we think about the lessons learned here, we understand that the covenant blessings of God are not dependent upon right or stature or goodness. It lies solely in the hands of a sovereign God who will bless whom he chooses to bless and curse whom he elects to curse. This sovereign God reminds us at the end of the book a truth we learned at the beginning of this book. The incredible fact that God is the creator and the sustainer of all things, and he can do whatever he wills with his creation. This is a truth we learned in Job, a truth we learned in Isaiah, and a truth we learned in Genesis at the very beginning of our reading. Kent Hughes describes this well for us. He writes, this is repeated again and again in Genesis. In primeval history, the older brother Cain had his offering rejected, while that of his younger brother Abel was accepted. Then with the line of Seth, the even younger brother became the chosen line. In patriarchal times, young Isaac was chosen over Ishmael. Then Jacob was chosen over Esau. Jacob's son Joseph was chosen over his older brethren, and now Ephraim was chosen above Manasseh. Indeed, the last are often first, even for Christ. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. The crossed hands of blessing tell us that grace typically surprises us. The plans of God do not depend on our keeping of God's law. It does not depend on our righteous acts, but solely on his divine grace. That sovereign grace reminds us that God's plans are not thwarted by our foolishness, and they aren't necessarily accomplished by our wisdom and goodness either. God can use whatever means he chooses to achieve his purposes. This is a truth dramatically taught to us through the life of this heel grabber Jacob. All of his stubbornness in the sunset of his life, now his faith in God's providential hand is outlined for us in his blessing of the younger over the older. It reminds us that God chooses whomever he wills and he will accomplish his work through the most broken of men. 
The generational component of this also reminds us that God's plans are not dependent on us, nor do they stop with us. God had made promises to Abraham in Genesis 15 that spanned the life of Abraham and Isaac, now Jacob, and even Joseph. His plan to bring them back into the land of promise would be accomplished through another impossibly unqualified leader, the stuttering, excuse-filled murderer named Moses. See, God's plan is always bigger than us. His wisdom is not confined to our understanding. This should motivate our faith as it did Joseph's and Jacob's in this passage. And we should decide to trust a God whose wisdom and plans outlast our temporal moment and our shallow wisdom. His plans are always bigger than our lives. And what he is doing in the world didn't start with us. And by God's grace, it won't end with us. Jacob had learned this through the school of hard knocks. May we learn these lessons his misery had emblazoned on his conscience. That what God is doing in the world is infinitely more significant than my minuscule existence. And that the greatest joy of my life should be to have been a role player, an extra in the divine drama that God is orchestrating. The one story of the redemption of a hopelessly broken world to a relationship with a gloriously perfect Savior. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your marvelous grace that includes us in the larger story that you are writing through our lives. Help us to trust you even when your choices seem unwise to us. And help us to realize that your plans are always more extensive and more significant than we can conceive. Help us live as Jacob did, in faith, worshiping a God bigger than our conception of him. Like Jacob, help us to worship a God who is more significant than our wildest dreams and can resurrect and restore all that is broken. Through your resurrection power, you can do anything, for nothing is impossible with you. In your name, amen. Thanks for joining us today for the Read Your Bible podcast. For show notes to today's episode, please visit readyourbible.info. While you're there, you can listen to past episodes as well as access a host of additional resources designed to help you grow in your faith. It's all there for you at readyourbible.info. That's readyourbible.info. For more information about South Seminole Baptist Church, just go to southseminole.com. Join us again tomorrow as together we help you learn to read your Bible.